At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Now, as we begin today, we want to talk about what I think is a great discipleship secret. It is a discipleship secret that is largely unemphasized in the Christian community, yet repeatedly emphasized in Scripture, and that is the prospect of eternal rewards for a believer in Jesus Christ, for a follower of Jesus Christ. And and I believe, I've noticed this over the years, that eternal rewards seems to be a forgotten truth seems to be a frequently neglected truth, seems to be an unexplored truth. And I think that many believers, it's a very common thing, it seems, for them to lack a real awareness of what the Bible says about eternal rewards. And at times, I think there's even some confusion about what the Bible says about it. People ask questions like, well, Is every follower of Jesus Christ going to give an account for how they've lived their Christian life? Is there an event on God's prophetic calendar where such an evaluation is going to take place? Can eternal rewards really be won or lost by how I'm choosing to live my life? Someone might say, well, wait a minute now, I don't get this. Isn't the spiritual foundation of biblical Christianity that salvation is not by works, it's not something we earn? Isn't this idea of earning eternal rewards sort of a contradiction of that basic spiritual foundation? Or someone might say, well, I thought, wait a minute, I thought every believer upon faith receives an inheritance that's reserved in heaven for them. So where do eternal rewards fit in all of this? Or someone else might say, isn't it just wrong to have as a motive to gain an eternal reward? I mean, that sounds a little mercenary-like to me. You know, part of the battle in all of this is that this world is all we have ever known by experience. By experience, this world is all we have ever known. And I think it is easy for us to be distracted and lose sight of the fact the Bible tells us that we are strangers, we are aliens, we are ambassadors to this world. Ultimately, as followers of Jesus, we are living far from home. And we need God's revelation to enlighten us about the life to come and about our future home in heaven. Now, this study we're going to be doing for three sessions beginning this week is a study that I have been contemplating for a while. And here's the bottom line of all of this. This whole concept of eternal rewards comes from the very heart of God. And my hope is in these three sessions on this subject of eternal rewards, my hope is it will bring clarity to understanding of eternal rewards for all of us. My hope is it will be a spiritual challenge for each one of us, for you and for me. 
My hope is that this study would catalyze and energize our motivation to live a life of faithfulness that honors Jesus. And my hope is that ultimately, we, your life and my life, would give glory and honor to the one who first loved us. Now, does that sound like a worthy journey to be on? It is for me, and I'm looking forward to it. Now, our plan for today involves really three things. Whoops, I think I did too much there. There we go. We got three different things in today's plan. First of all, we're going to clarify Scripture truth regarding good works and salvation. We want to make sure we're very clear there. Secondly, we're going to observe the common motif of reward in the New Testament, and I think we'll see it's more common than we might imagine. And then the third thing we're going to do today in this opening message is take a quick glimpse at two key passages. So that's what we're going to do. This first one we want to take on because I don't want there to be any confusion at all. So the very first thing we're going to do is clarify Scripture truth regarding good works and salvation. Now let me just summarize it this way. Salvation, forgiveness of sin, entrance into heaven cannot be earned by anybody. That is a core foundational truth of the Christian life. And I want to spend a few moments summarizing the gospel message, just so we make it very clear. This is the the message of forgiveness. This is the message of how we get to heaven. And the first thing we need to do when we clarify that message is we need to realize the problem. Now, I'm going to go through this truth, and it's some truth that many of us know, but I never get tired of hearing it because it changed my life forever. The first thing we need to do is we need to realize the problem. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us is a human being. If you are breathing, you have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the glory of God is the standard. God's standard for acceptance and forgiveness and eternity in heaven is a standard of perfection. And every one of us have fallen short of that standard. We need to realize the problem. Problem goes on in Romans 6.23 because it tells us the wages of sin which we are guilty of is death. That's what we've earned because of our sin in our life. It's a slow death in this life and an eternal death in the next life. What we have earned, this is part of the problem, our destiny as sinners is hell forever. It's not a good position to be in. And we can't do enough good works to earn forgiveness from God. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16 says, A man is not justified by the works of the law. We can't do enough obedience to God's law to earn our way to heaven and to win forgiveness for ourselves. It's a futile effort. I want you to check out this little thought. Putting our hope in good deeds as a way to earn forgiveness is like trying to climb to the moon on a rope of sand. Anyone going to get there? Impossible. On a rope of sand from here to the moon? Not going to happen. Well, the same thing as putting our hope in good deeds as a way to earn forgiveness. It's just not going to happen. 
We need to realize the problem. In fact, our situation is so desperate, problem is so desperate, the Bible says that we are helpless as human beings. We have no hope of getting there. The second thing about the gospel message that we must do is we need to recognize then the solution to the problem. I have a significant problem. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. But God had a solution, and that is that he sent Jesus Christ, who was the God-man, to come to this planet to die in my place. That's why he came, right? I just love talking about this. I talk about this all day long. The Son of Man came, why? To this planet, to give his life as a ransom for many, to pay for our sins, right? Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, in that helpless, no-hope situation, Christ died for us. This is exciting stuff. Great to review and remember. And then in 1 John 2, 2, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it says that he himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. That's not a word we use a lot in English today, but propitiation means he completely, legally satisfied all of God's wrath towards sin. The penalty was fully and forever paid. Romans 9, 12 says that Jesus obtained eternal redemption. That is the solution that we need. When Jesus said on the cross, you remember this statement, he said, it is finished. What was finished? The work of redemption was finished and accomplished. If you have been around Wildwood for a while, you know that I like to talk about how when you take all the religious systems of the world, they all fit into one of two categories. In fact, most of the religious systems, all but one, fit into the first category, and that is a category where they spell salvation, do, D-O. There's something that we must do. Now, these various religious systems will define the do part differently, but they all say that's how you get forgiveness. That's how you go to heaven. That's how you experience salvation. There's something you must do, and they usually have pretty long lists. There's one religious system that fits in another category, and that's biblical Christianity, and biblical Christianity spells salvation, D-O-N-E done. The work was fully done for us by the person of Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to look at a couple of verses. They're very familiar to many of us. But again, I, I personally get excited about this. I'm celebrating what God has done in my life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved, forgiven, given entrance into heaven through faith. And that is not of yourselves, right? Because we can't work it out. It is the gift of God. It's a gift he gives to us. It's not, verse 9, a result of works. 
Extremely clear, isn't it? Not a result of works. The scripture truth of good works and salvation is that works have no part in it at all. Now, for some of us, maybe, because I don't know all of us here, maybe that's news to you. You thought, yeah, I have to climb some kind of rope to get there. But the Bible says no. And so what happens a lot of times is for those who have trusted in Christ, we think, well, good works. We never have to be involved with good works. But see, a lot of us are familiar with 8 and 9, but we miss verse 10. Because in verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. In other words, what he's saying is, once our eternal destiny is guaranteed by trusting in Christ by grace through faith, once we are adopted in the family of God, he's saying good works are to be part of the life that we have been called to live doesn't get us to heaven, but it's a calling that we have from God. And that leads me to the second thing, I missed the one slide there, that we want to do, and that is we want to observe the common motif of reward in the New Testament. One commentator looked at all 27 books of the New Testament, and he found a direct reference to rewards in 24 of the 27 books. So let's look at this common motif, which again is probably more common than we would think. Maybe the first hint of this comes in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 19, where Jesus says that some in the kingdom of heaven will be called least, and some in the kingdom of heaven will be called great. Wait a minute. Everyone's not in the exact same situation. They're in heaven, but some are more least and Some are more great. Jesus goes on to say, again, similar things. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He says, Rejoice and be glad. Why would anyone want to rejoice and be glad when people are insulting you and persecuting you, falsely saying all kinds of evil against you because of Jesus? Why would we ever rejoice and be glad? Well, notice he says, For your reward in heaven is great. Now, not all of us are going to be persecuted necessarily or have people falsely say all kinds of evil against us because of the person of Christ that we claim. But for those who have that happen to them, there is a reward that is great, he says, in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus, in, in light of them looking at the way the Pharisees operated, he says to the disciples, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, which is what the Pharisees did. When they wanted to pray, they wanted to pray right in front of publicly and do things in a very showy kind of way. Everyone look at how spiritual I am. He said, don't do that, for if you do that, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. See, if we're involved in being spiritual so that everybody gets to see how spiritual they are, You know, we're talking about how often we know we're doing our 
devotions and we're memorizing this or whatever it may be or we're serving, we're doing it so people can see us. He says there's no reward when that happens at all. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Jesus talking to the disciples again, and he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Remember, he he says that because what's here on the planet doesn't go to heaven. But he says, by way of a command, actually, this second verb, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That is a command. We are told to make investments in heaven by way of command. There is reward in heaven for doing that. Matthew 10, 41, an interesting passage. Jesus speaking, he says, he who receives a prophet. What does that really mean? Well, it's referring to someone who would help out a prophet who would travel in those days, maybe help them out financially or or give them some things that they need. He says, he who receives a prophet, this latter part astonishes me, shall receive a prophet's reward. It doesn't say part of a prophet's reward. It says if you reach out and help, maybe assisting a missionary or something, you receive that person's reward. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus says, love your enemies and do good. Lend expecting nothing in return. And what does he say then? When you make those choices in your life, your reward will be great. Well, what if I choose not to love my enemies? I'm not going to get a great reward. See how that works? Luke chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And notice he says this. He says, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. If you minister to the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, there is a reward for doing that. Now, if I'm not ministering to the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, I don't receive that kind of reward at the resurrection of the righteous. John 12, 26, a very simple statement. It says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, when he talks about serving me, he's not talking about doing it vocationally. So here's a question. Does everybody who attends church, are they actively serving Jesus in some way? Maybe, maybe not. But if anyone serves me, he says, ah, there's a reward for that. The Father will honor him. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you see how this goes on and on? This motif, it's everywhere says in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, verse 14, if any man's work remains, there's going to be this test that happens of the the things and the choices we've made in our life. We're going to look at that more coming up. It says, he will receive a reward. But not everything is going to remain. And so there would be a lack of a reward. James chapter 1 and verse 12, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. Why is he blessed if he holds up under trials and adversity? And we've all experienced those kinds of things. Do we spiritually collapse or do we persevere through that in the power of God? If one does, he will receive the crown of life. There will be a reward for that. 
Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, he's talking to the church there. And they were under persecution. They were under the threat of losing their life. And do you know that we have followers of Jesus around the globe now that are under that very threat? It could cost them their life. And he says, if that's true of you, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. There will be reward, you see, for that. I want you to turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 in your Bibles. And uh, I want to look at a few verses here in 1 Peter chapter 5. What happens in the first four verses is Peter is addressing the leaders of the church, the elders of the church. And he says to them in verse 2, what I want you to do as church leaders is to shepherd the flock of God among you. I want you to do it voluntarily according to the will of God. I want you to do it not for sordid gain. You're not in this leading the church thing for money gain, nor as yet lording it over those allotted to your charge. You're not to be dictatorial as you lead in the church. And then he says, and you're to be proving to be examples to the flock. You're to be a spiritual example to others. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When, as church leaders, you lead the way I have exhorted you to do, you're going to receive a reward for that. Now, not all church leaders do that. Some church leaders are in it for money gain. Some church leaders are not setting a good example for the flock. Will they get a reward? No. But the church leaders who do will receive a reward. Second epistle of John, verse 8. Watch yourselves, these are spoken to the followers of Jesus, that you do not lose what we have accomplished. What he means by that, we have spiritually invested in you. I don't want you to lose that, to sort of forfeit that in any way. I don't want you to waste that but that you might receive a full reward. In other words, there's choices you're going to make in your spiritual life, and I want you to receive a full reward. The New Living Translation says, be diligent that you might receive a full reward. That means it's possible for us to not get full reward, right? And then in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Behold, Jesus says, I'm coming quickly, and this is fascinating to me, and my reward is with me to render to every man, woman, according to what they have done. You see, this is a common motif, and yet it is often a forgotten truth, a neglected truth, an unexplored truth. And what that means, men and women, is that the study of eternal rewards is very, very important. In fact, it is spiritually vital to each one of us who name the name of Christ. Now, again, we have limited perspective from earth. We have the world, the flesh, the devil pulling on us all the time. Now, here is what is interesting One day, it'll be crystal clear to us what we should have done. 
Randy Alcorn says this. This is really very accurate. He says, five minutes after we die, every Christian will understand that heaven is our home and earth was simply a temporary lodging on the homeward journey. Then we'll know by experience what was important and what wasn't. We will see with eternity's clarity. We will know exactly how we should have lived. Totally true. I mean, five minutes after we die and everything's crystal clear, we're going to know what was important and what wasn't. There'll be no arguing. We'll see it clearly. We'll see with eternity's clarity. We will know then exactly how we should have lived. You know what the problem with that is? It's very true. The problem with that is it's too late. Right? If we have to wait till we arrive there to have that all crystal clear, it's too late. This is why the Word of God is so valuable. This is why the Scripture is so valuable because the Scripture pulls back the curtain and we get to see now what is important and what isn't important. And we get to see now how exactly we should live our lives. So what that means right at this juncture is I think we need to sit up and we need to lean in to what the Word of God has to say. Now, as we stated, we were going to do three things. We were going to clarify Scripture truth regarding good works and salvation because I don't want to garble that at all. And then we said we were going to observe the common motif of reward in the New Testament. The third thing we want to do is to take a quick glimpse at two key passages that talk about this whole idea of rewards. And the first one is found in Romans chapter 14 and verses 10 to 12. So that's what we want to look at for a moment. I want to read chapter 14, verses 10 to 12. In verse 10, he's talking to the believers at Rome, and he says, Why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? And then notice what he says there. He says, For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. What's he talking about in in verse 10? He's talking about choices that we make in how we're living our life, actions we would take or not take. And he says at the end of that, we will all stand. How many people are included in all? How many people in this room who know Jesus Christ personally are included in all? All of us. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, that little phrase, that that term, judgment seat, in the original language is just one word that has four letters to it. It's the word bema, B-E-M-A. We're going to all stand before the bema of God. What in the world was a bema? Well, we're going to be looking at that in the coming times. But notice again, he says there in verse 12, so then each one of us, wow, there's a lot of emphasis here that no one's left out, will give account of himself to God. 
In other words, he's saying there is a future event ahead for each of us who are followers of Christ where there's going to be an evaluation of choices we made in our spiritual life. Now, the second passage I want to look at very quickly is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 10. I want to read those verses, chapter 5, verses 6 to 10. Verse 6 says, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Now, you don't know this, but yesterday we had a memorial service here for Lewis Boyd. And Lewis Boyd's body was parked right there, right there. Now, Lewis was not there. He was absent from the body and present with the Lord. But his earth tent was still here. But he's basically saying that no matter where we are, the goal is the same, to be pleasing to him. Now, why? He's saying that's the ambition that I have. That is the aim that I have. Why is he driven like that? He tells us in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body while we were on the planet according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Look at it again. We must all, here we go again, appear before the bema of Christ. Why? So that each one, anyone left out of that? No one may be recompensed for his deeds, for the life choices we made in living out our Christian life. We did it in the body while we were on the planet, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. What is this all saying? That I am going to give an account for how I have lived my Christian life and rewards are at stake. Now, here's what is interesting about that. I think that is often far from our thinking. But you notice it's not far from Paul's thinking. And you say, well, well, Bruce, I I don't don't fully understand all this. I mean, how does all this work? I mean, what is this Bama thing? You know, what's involved in this evaluation? I mean, what, what are these rewards we're talking about? What should I be aiming for in my life? I have all these kinds of questions. That's why we're going to be back next week and the week after that. We'll be zooming in on all those things and answering many of those questions. Now, as we close our time together, I want to go back to what we started with. And that is the issue of salvation, which, by the way, is the most important issue in all of the universe because it determines our eternal destiny. And earlier we talked about how if we're going to understand the most important issue, we must do three things. And and again, I get excited talking about this because I cannot believe that God showed this to me. We have to realize the problem. 
The problem is sin. And we were infected with the virus when we were born, and we make choices that just prove over and over again that we're sinners. The problem isn't just that. The problem is that we earn death because of that, which is really eternal death, which goes on for all time. And I can remember when it first was communicated to me, and maybe some of this is new to some of you. I don't know all of you well, but I can remember when this was first communicated to me, it like took my breath away. Are you kidding me? That's the problem I have? And I'm helpless and hopeless to do anything about it? And then I recognized the solution because it was communicated to me. There's nothing you can do to earn that. But someone named Jesus Christ came to this planet to solve the problem. And he paid all the penalty. He died in your place. He took all the responsibility. And then he offers it forgiveness to you as a free gift. He offers you eternity in heaven as a free gift. Like, what do I need to do to make sure that happens? Well, then they communicated to me, well, the third thing you need to do is you need to rely on Christ's work. You make a life choice to say, I'm not counting, oh, no way I'm counting on my good stuff to get me there. What I want to count on and believe in by faith is Christ's work on my behalf. Hey, here's the deal. Just as I was speaking to the group yesterday in the memorial service, I don't want anyone to go away without having trusted in Christ because the price is way too high a price to pay. You know, one of my favorite verses, the second verse I I ever memorized was John 3.16. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his unique son that whoever believes in him should not perish, which means to really have eternal death, but to have eternal life. And one of the things that's really neat to do is to put your name in there. And maybe you've never done that. For God so loved Bruce that he gave his unique son that if Bruce believes in him, trusts in him, counts on his work, Bruce shall not perish but have eternal life. And as we're going to go on and we're going to talk about rewards and we're going to talk about living out the works that God has called us to live, I just want to give a chance for every person to make that life choice just the same way I did. And if you've never done that, if you are unsure whether you have done that, let's make it plain and sure today, all right? So I'm going to close us in prayer. And you know your heart before God. If you have never put your name in the blanks and made the life choice to count on the work of Christ, I encourage you, I beg you to do that very thing this morning. So I'm going to pray as I close, and I'm going to pray some phrases. And if, if you would like to know eternal life and to have eternal life and to trust in Christ, just from your heart to the heart of God, repeat these phrases as I pray. And all of us can be praying about any who may not know him yet right now. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for what we've studied today. For those who've never done so or they're unsure where they ever have done so, may they make their eternity sure today. May they pray this. Father, 
I acknowledge that I am a sinner and have violated your standards. God, I deserve your judgment and eternal death. Lord, right now, I put all my reliance and trust in Jesus' death on the cross for me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Make me who you designed me to be. Amen.